0: Coming up on today's show, we'll speak with Matt Jones, Alberta's Minister of Affordability and Utilities, to talk about the new inflation relief package that was brought forward earlier this week. We'll speak with a Canadian living in Qatar, Naomi Kariuki, as an Edmontonian. We'll see how things are going for her. And we'll also talk about why prairie provinces are seeing much higher flu rates than the rest of Canada. So later today, we'll get an update on whether or not the province is still on track to rack up a remarkable, eye-popping $13 billion surplus. Um, that was the last fiscal update we got. Now, if you go back just a little bit here... Um, it's really ramped up. We were in deficit territory not that long ago. Then we had an update that said, now nah, we're going to have about a half a billion dollar surplus. And then the projection went up to 13.2 billion uh, on the strength of oil prices that are, you know, at that time, were about a hundred bucks a barrel. It's dropped though. It's down to about $80 a barrel. And you're also going to have to factor in uh, some increased spending that we've seen from the province, namely, billion on the inflation relief package that was announced on Tuesday. And as I said yesterday, I think it had to be done, and I think it's going to help out a lot of Albertans. Of course, there are people that are asking questions about some of the finer details of it, and here to help us try and answer some of those questions is Matt Jones, who is the Minister of Affordability and Utilities. Minister Jones, thank you for being here. I appreciate your time. Oh, thanks for having me, Shane. A couple of questions that have come up since the announcement. Um, There's a lot of low-income Albertans. Well, I don't know how many, but there's definitely some low-income Albertans who won't see any of the direct relief. They're going to see a lot of relief, but the $600 over six months. So if you're a single person earning minimum wage, you don't have kids, you're out. You don't get anything, but a single parent earning $180,000 a year uh, gets $600 per kid. Have you heard that criticism, too? Why was that decision made?
1: Oh, well, uh, uh, low-income single Albertans are receiving and will receive significant supports under this package. Uh, With the passing of the Inflation Relief Act, they'll be eligible for up to $500 in electricity rebates uh, as of April uh, next year. In addition, they'll save uh, probably between $200 to $400 at the pumps whenever they fill up for gas or diesel with the full suspension of the fuel tax relief. Uh, they'll also benefit from natural gas protection. So if the price uh, goes above $650 a gigajoule over the winter, uh, they'll get a dollar-for-dollar dollar rebate on the natural gas portion of their bill. And we're also uh, re-indexing income taxes to 20, uh, January 2022, which will actually uh, provide another uh, 80 to 90,000 Albertans with uh, the ability to pay no provincial income tax. And I'll remind you that 40% of Albertans do not pay any.
0: Income tax. Yeah, all, all well and good. I, I, I completely and fully understand that. But on top of that, if you're um, somebody with a kid under the age of 18 or if you're a senior, you get the additional $600. What I'm saying is the people earning minimum wage who don't have a kid and aren't seniors don't get the 600 So why was that determination made? I mean, everybody gets the things you just talked about. Why were they excluded from the $600 over six months?
1: Yeah. So the broad-based relief that, that targets uh, the vast majority are all Albertans, which I estimated there are roughly seven to nine hundred dollars. Uh, on top of that, for for families and uh, for families with children, they are seeing uh, increased costs and inflation pressures beyond families without children, as are seniors who are on fixed incomes and vulnerable Albertans who are low income and also on fixed incomes. Uh, they they face higher fuel, energy, and food costs as a proportion of their total expenditures. So as the cost of living and inflation crisis persists, it makes sense to target those with the highest need with additional targeted supports. And that's what we've done here. Um, in terms of the spending itself,
0: uh, the other criticism I've heard, and it's pretty tough to square the circle, your government and, and Premier Smith specifically, in fact, in her announcement, absolutely lambastes the federal government on a regular basis for driving up inflation with increased government spending and then moments later announces more government spending. Help me make sense of that.
1: Well, Shay, we uh, we're spending two billion dollars here, not half a trillion dollars for one. And and second, we've actually taken actions to reduce inflation. Our our uh, fuel tax relief, for example, actually has a material reduction in inflation. Whereas the federal government's increase in the carbon tax is actually increasing inflation. So I think Premier Smith has every right uh, to criticize the fiscal management of the federal government. They are not in surplus they are in deficit. We are funding this out of the position of a strong balance sheet after three years of fiscal restraint and we're now uh, providing Albertans support, rightly so, when they need it the most
0: Definitely, yeah. I mean, it's definitely going to benefit a lot of Albertans, no question. Um, a lot of the measures that the Premier announced on Tuesday were basically um, when, when the UCP government came in in 2019, they undid a lot of things that were already in place. They put them back last night, re-indexing of AISH, re-indexing of um, the uh, income tax, uh, natural gas rebates, all these sorts of things. Is it an admission that the UCP got it wrong back in 2019 and they should have left things alone?
1: in uh, 2019 we were running uh, record deficits we had record business closures and and uh, actually negative oil prices we had a financial crisis we had uh, it was a very different um, situation than we're facing today. Alberta is doing very well economically. Um, and unfortunately, we're now seeing this cost of living and inflation crisis, and that's why you see the package in front of you today. But the decisions made uh, reflected the situation Alberta was facing at the time. We had uh, a large structural deficit. We had low royalty revenues. And we had to make decisions to make sure that programs were sustainable for the long term. We need world-class health care, education, and social supports uh, and obviously, those can't grow materially faster than cost of living. Sorry, than uh, inflation and population growth. So we made decisions to make those programs sustainable, and we also made a commitment at that time to reindex those programs when we were able, and we are able, and we're doing so as committed. Uh,
0: the premier said this was just the beginning, and there would be more on the way. This was just the first step. What do you anticipate? How much more is is potentially available?
1: the Ministry of Affordability and Utilities, my ministry, was established first to deliver immediate cost of living and inflation relief, but we're now beginning to work across government to address medium and long-term affordability. So I'm going to be looking, uh, along with my cabinet colleagues, at every area that we're at where we can potentially save Albertans money and make life more affordable. That could be, uh, for example, uh, insurance. It could be childcare. It could be post-secondary. We're going to look at everything, uh, utilities. And we're going to try to save Albertans over the long term. But we needed to provide something now because families are struggling to put food on the table. And we don't want kids being deprived of food or nutritious food. We don't want moms pulling their daughters out of dance. We don't want kids being pulled out of activities, particularly after two years of disruption and isolation in their lives. They need these things. We want our seniors out there. They had the same thing. Uh... So this is the immediate package, and you will see more efforts to address affordability in the weeks and months ahead.
0: Um, any chance that the people who didn't get included in that $600, you're going to continue to hear from them, any chance that they, that may be added to the package?
1: Well, again, um, they are received, a household without children will receive more than $600. When you factor in the electricity rebates, $500 right there, and then the fuel tax relief and the other benefits. So, uh,
0: we're Yeah, but everybody you know, gets that. It's the, it's the additional 600 You know that.
1: Yeah, and there's an additional cost to uh, to having children in a household. The households with children use more energy and heat and electricity yeah. and, and, and buy more food. So I think... Uh, Again, as the cost of living and uh, inflation crisis persists, we must target additional supports where they're needed the most. And that's what we do as a society, right? Yeah. We target supports where they're needed the most. That is what we're doing here while also providing significant. And I mean, uh, by comparison to other provinces, the broad-based relief alone is significant. So I,
0: I, I obviously you don't there, there's no credence then in, you know, Yeah, and you've heard the criticism that it's it's vote buying and you're targeting the groups that you most need to persuade to vote for the UCP coming up in the spring. And that's why you target it this way. Um, you're buying votes with uh, people's own money.
1: You know, there, there either is an inflation crisis and cost of living crisis or there isn't. And I think every time Albertans, particularly moms leave their homes and they go to the grocery store or fill up with gas, they can see that the costs are extremely escalated. Uh, and then the next question becomes, should the government uh, address those those immediate needs to put food on the table and get to work now, or should we defer that to the next government in seven months? And I think Albertans would uh, rightly uh, prefer to feed their families now, and that's what we're going to support them to do. Minister, I really appreciate you being here this morning. Thanks
0: so much. So Canada, of course, lost their opening match at the World Cup yesterday, 1-0 the one time of year where our Canadians were around talking about nil. Actually, I guess we do it every four years. Um, but apparently, uh, I'm not a soccer expert, but uh, from what I heard, uh, it was a really good showing. I mean, Belgium's the second-ranked team in the world, so uh, huge underdogs going in and a lot of optimism heading into their final two games. I think they play Croatia and Morocco. Um, In the opening round and uh, apparently because there was such a good showing against Belgium, there's some optimism that they might actually be able to come up with some points in the other two games. So we'll see. I don't know when the games are. Is it tomorrow, Cass? Saturday? Sunday? Sunday. So they spread it Okay, because the first round, I think they played it right into next month. So, okay, so we'll, we'll see what happens. They've got Croatia left, they've got Morocco left, a 1-0 loss to Belgium in their opening match. But like I say, all in all, it sounds like it was pretty positive. So I, I, I'm more curious, like I've said, I'm not a huge soccer fan. Um, I'm more interested in what's going on in Qatar, because we've heard all of the stories, and there's so many things going on. I mean, I, I just can't imagine if you had that many people descend on a country of about 3 million people, for an event like this, what might happen. So we're going to chat now with Naomi Karayuki, who's an Edmontonian living and teaching in Qatar. Naomi, thanks for joining us. I appreciate your time today. Hi, thanks for having me. Hey, maybe you can just put this to rest, because we've been told Qatar, Qatar, they're both okay. How is it pronounced there?
2: Yeah, so we say Qatar. Qatar. Or Qatar, yes.
0: Qatar or Qatar. Okay, good enough. That's excellent. Fantastic. Now, how long have you been there?
2: So, I moved here in August. I've been here for three months.
0: Interesting. Okay. And are you, like, in Doha?
2: Yes, I am in Doha.
0: Okay. So, you were there sort of as the ramp-up, the build-up. I mean, a lot of the preparation started years ago, but I imagine things were just getting really chaotic as we got closer and closer to the kickoff. This is the World Cup, Right.
2: Yeah, it was getting a lot busier. Um, roads were being finished, and you can just see, you know, they're starting to decorate the city, so I definitely saw a lot of that how mu- coming up until.
0: How much, like, construction was, like, I heard entire cities were built in some cases. Like, how much construction was done, do you know?
2: Yeah, I heard, um, for example, that one of the new areas, like in like that came up pretty quick. So they definitely put in a lot of work over a short amount of time to finish and get ready for the World Cup.
0: What about people? Like, has there just been a huge influx of tourism?
2: Um, yeah, I definitely say there's been a lot of people, but um, it's, it's been, like, it's not as super crowded as I would think it would be. But yeah, there's definitely been a lot of people here.
0: Okay, so let's go back before this event kicked off and before the tourism really ramped up in the last week or so. What was what is life like in Qatar? Like, how, how where where do you live? What's a day in the life like there?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I live in the Pearl area, and it's where a lot of the expats live. And honestly, it's it's amazing. It's truly beautiful. Like we're right by the sea. We have a nice view of like the Doha skyline and yeah it's it's actually it's unbelievable. I was really shocked coming to Qatar and wasn't sure what to expect but it's it's been it's beautiful
0: so are you like would it be fair to call it a compound you you live sort of in a compound
2: no just in like a studio apartment
0: okay but they, but the neighborhood is it like you say it's an expat neighborhood do oh, you sort of do you stay yeah. there or do you go ever i mean is it just like living in a canadian city
2: yeah more or less so it actually it has like it almost gives me like It almost feels like you're on a Mexico resort, to be honest. Okay. (laughs) Because it's just beautiful. Beautiful buildings, colourful palm trees.
0: Yeah. What about now? I mean, has there been a change in the way that the country sort of operates? Some rules changing? Because we know there's a lot of conversation about what people can and can't do in Qatar for the World Cup. Is it different? What's the messaging been like to the people who live there as we got closer to the World Cup?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I would say more or less it's been the same from what it was when I moved here. Um, Just, of course, the same things, like just respecting their culture mm-hmm. and respecting their country. Um, but yeah, like I can't say there's been any major changes from when I moved here to to now in terms of, you know, the rules. What I can say is there's just like, definitely been like more security around and just like people that are actually at the metro stations helping and guiding people around and that's been really nice.
0: Um, you teach English there, right? That's what you're teaching?
2: So I actually teach at an Alberta accredited school.
0: Oh, okay. All right. But yeah. you're teaching Qatari citizens?
2: No. So I actually teach uh, students that are that have come from Canada but have, like, migrated from different parts of the world.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, and there's a bunch, yeah. right? There's a lot of people, oh, like, tons that actually move there and live there to work, Right.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And their parents uh, yeah. work in like universities
0: and uh, in the hospitals. Um, how, I mean, aside from the people, like the citizens of Cairo, or the people that you work with, the people that are there, how interested are they in the World Cup? Is it a big deal? Is everybody sort of jumped on board here?
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like if, It's unbelievable. You'll just go out on the streets, even if you're not at a stadium, and every single place is showing the World Cup. People are outside sitting on uh, a patio and just enjoying the game. Like, the whole country is just immersed in in the World Cup.
0: Are you going to any games? Are you interested, or are you a soccer fan?
2: I am a soccer fan, absolutely. So I was at the Canada match last night, and it was unbelievable. And I'm also going to go to the next match as well.
0: Tell, tell me about that. What was it like last night? What was the atmosphere inside the stadium?
2: Oh, it was electric. From the time we got there uh, already, our, the Canada fans were rallying up, up on our feet. It was just, it was unbelievable, really, just the amount of support that they had for, uh, that, yeah, that they had for the boys.
0: Now, what we're hearing over here, Naomi, is that, you know what, yeah, they lost, but you know what, they came pretty close. They actually played really well at times. Is there a lot of optimism heading into the weekend now?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, for this to be their first World Cup in 36 years and to, to only concede one goal against Belgium, it was a really strong showing, so we have a lot of hope over here.
0: What about tickets? Like, how hard is it to get tickets? How much do they cost? Is it tough?
2: Uh, so it was a little bit tough, but uh, I actually I, I did secure my tickets before I came here, so that was good. Um, but, yeah, there are some last-minute ticket sales for sure, but, um, yeah, there are, there are ways to get Yeah, I would say it was a little bit tough to get them, but I definitely I secured them, you know,
0: months ahead of time. Excellent. So you're off to another game. Um, I I just (laughs) what I mean. I I don't know if you're a soccer expert here, but trying to help me out here because I'm not. Like, how optimistic are you? Do you think they actually have a chance of getting out of this round?
2: I think they have a chance. I think if they can just um just play like just be able to uh, have a bit more of their finish their chances. We had a lot of chances actually in the Belgium. Yes, they end, did, yeah. They just weren't able to finish. Um, so I think if we can, uh, our defense was really good. So if we can keep that up, finish those chances, I believe we do have a chance to get out of our group stage.
0: Um, one last question, and, and I don't know how, uh, how um, uh, over here we're hearing a lot about the issues with Qatar, with human rights, with gay rights, with some yeah. of the protests that players yeah. wanted to take part in. Does that make any yeah. impact in Qatar are people there talking about it or is that kept pretty much out of the discussion around the World Cup
2: Yeah, I don't I can't say I've really heard anything yeah. too much about it. I know there are players that have been protesting about it, but yeah, I think it just comes down to, you know, it's 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 their country and they they just want people to kind of respect their country and their you know Their mean, yeah. traditions and what they believe in. But, yeah, it's, it's really about the football, though. That's all I can say. It's about the football, and Qatar has just been, they've been really welcoming to everyone that's come, and it's been a great atmosphere.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I would expect. Well, Naomi, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it, and have fun at the games. Do you know someone who's sick right now? I bet you do. I, it seems like everybody that I talk to has a story about they're sick or somebody that they know are sick. The kids are sick. I mean, there's a lot of sick out there right now. We've seen all kinds of stories. Um And I just saw, you know, another update from BC talking about the fact that their children's hospitals are swamped, just like they are here in Alberta. It seems like kids really dealing with the They call it the trifecta of viruses, right? Loads and loads of sick kids, lots of them out of class for a few different reasons. Yeah, COVID, like I say, still a factor, but there's other ones now. We've also got RSV, and maybe, uh, I'm not sure we're going to find out, perhaps most importantly, by a lot of cases of the flu, and specifically on the prairies, Alberta. And the rest of the prairies really hard hit by flu, harder than the rest of Canada. Not sure why. We're going to find out. We're going to chat with Dr. Lenora Saxinger, who is a professor in the Division of Infectious Diseases at the University of Alberta. Doctor, thank you for joining us. Appreciate your time. No problem. Happy to join you. Let's just get an assessment here that this flu season, or I don't even know the flu situation that we have right now, it's really quite bad, isn't it? Oh,
3: it really kind of came in really early and really fast compared to more conventional flu years. And so, I mean, every year, except for the last couple of years during the pandemic, we start to see influenza and it can be quite, quite a significant illness across the community, usually peaking more close to Christmas or a little after. Okay. Um, and of course, flu shots usually come out in October. So usually there's some lead time to get people thinking about getting vaccinated. But pretty much as soon as the vaccines came out, and people were just even barely starting to think about getting their flu shot. It, it just has really shot up like a rocket, and it's uh, it, it's quite a pattern. I mean, having said that, Alberta and the West often has their influenza epidemics start earlier. Than the rest of Canada. Like for for many years, that's been an observable pattern. So I don't, I don't know that that part of it is that right. different.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense in terms of how severe it is. How unusual is it? Like you say, the last couple of years are sort of ex, uh, exceptions. But you know, going back historically, is are we way out of whack? Like way more cases than usual? Um, we're close to right now
3: a peak that we last saw i think around 27 2018 that was a bad year um and i think the thing that i'm finding a little concerning is that it's rocketing upward extremely quickly it it, we don't know when it's going to slow down um and and we've easily exceeded a peak that happened much later in previous years already and so it's really ripping through the community aggressively and and lots and lots of people with horrible fever cough illnesses and and um you know odds are if you have a fever and a cough right now it's kind of more likely to be influenza
0: than anything else. Really? That was going to ask. So when we talk about flu, for some reason, I always think about stomach issues, but that's not necessarily the flu, right? Right. I mean, that's kind of a big terminology
3: problem we grapple with, but influenza as a respiratory virus is really classic for fever, cough, and feeling hit by a truck, like really awful. And it can make people very sick. Like we have people in ICU with influenza, Every Christmas and New Year's for time immemorial. And so it's always been a potentially bad infection. Um, but because people also talk about stomach flu and stuff, it can kind of get a little bit below the radar, I think, and how people understand it.
0: Yeah. No, but I think you're right. We, we think of a cold as being what you're describing the flu as. And if you've got intestinal issues, then it's the flu. That's sort of always the way I've thought about. It, so that's, uh, good info. What about, um, In terms of where we might be, like you say, we're a little bit early and, you know, you anticipate a peak usually sometime in December. Are are you worried that we're still going to be approaching a peak that might arrive in December? Like we haven't seen the worst of this yet?
3: Well, I mean, it hasn't started turning around yet, and the thing that people have to remember is people always think, oh, it's peaked, so that's okay. Well, there's probably pretty much as many cases going down as there were coming up, and so there's all sorts of reasons to try to rush out and get your shot now to try to reduce the risk for the rest of the time, because we don't know how broad the peak will be either. Sometimes we can have things kind of hang out at a high level for a while, and and we don't really know what to expect, because the flu patterns have been very, very changed for the past few years, and so so it's kind of anyone guess right now so i mean short short story is even like especially kids but also adults should be really emphasizing getting their flu shot
0: asap okay i want to ask you more about the vaccine in a sec but first though like you say um we don't know because of the last couple of years and i know that there's uh this concept of immunity debt and the fact that because kids weren't exposed or anybody wasn't really exposed over the past couple of years that means we're playing catch up now i mean how big of an impact do you think the last couple of years had on what we're seeing this year
3: well, I mean, to, to be honest, there's a couple of things. One is that um, over the last few years, because there was not influenza circulating since basically 2019, the flu season was cut short by COVID measures. So the entire population has not either seen influenza infection and most people also never got their flu shots because there was no flu. And so that kind of background partial immunity that people get because their immune system is familiar with something usually does help reduce the rate and aggressiveness of spread in the community. Like it's enough to kind of blunt the, the yeah. wave and that's not present right now. So everyone's kind of really naive to influenza, relatively speaking, people who've had their flu shot year after year, after year, probably still have an advantage right now, but it, that even would be a little bit reduced. So there certainly is um, a lot of dry tinder around, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of people who are susceptible. And so it, it, it in some ways, it isn't super surprising to see it so aggressive, but I am myself am quite surprised to see it so early. And like I said, that's kind of put us behind in getting people, even people who ordinarily get their flu shot. You know, a lot of them are doing it in November, and they haven't had a chance yet.
0: When we talk about the flu shot, and I will admit, I'm, I I used to have to get it when I taught guitar. It was sort of a condition, not in a condition, but strongly recommended for employment, and it probably saved me a bunch. Um, but then we always heard that, yeah, well, you know, if you got the flu shot, maybe it helped ten. Do we know, I mean, in terms of what's going on right now, how effective this vaccine is and does any vaccine help?
3: Um, the, I mean, like the early guess, and this would be a guess, not evidence-based because we don't have the information yet, would be that it should be a pretty good match. Most of what's going around right now is an H3 strain. Um, that seems to be the dominant one. And the the H3 strains that were in the vaccine were basically planned on what was circulating about six months ago. And so without any big shifts, we would expect this should provide good protection and good protection here in influenza would be like 60 to 70% protection probably. But the other thing is like covid imperfect protection still reduces severity. And frankly, it's miserable. So I think, you know, avoid the misery and just get your shot. (laughs) We'll know more about the effectiveness kind of, you know, in in a few months, but if you're, you you can't wait for that.
0: (laughs) No, You're absolutely right. I I wanted to ask you, because I follow you on Twitter and I, and I noticed an exchange that you had yesterday. Now I get this. I imagine you get it far more than I do. And you went on and I thought took a perfectly reasonable scientific evidence-based approach saying, you know what? Uh, you should get vaccinated wear a mask if you're in a crowded indoor place if you want to sort of a thing really reasonable and you immediately had somebody come out not for saying you're recommending public health measures but saying you're not recommending enough is there a safe place right now for somebody in your position or are you going to get it from all corners no matter what you say I'm sitting here
3: laughing. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I'm like, I actually mask and I recommend masking <laughs> regularly, but I'm getting attacked for not recommending masking hard enough. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. No, it's really interesting. I I do think that there's been profound polarization, and I mean, at the end of the day, look at what happened in the last few viral seasons. People were, you know, there was periods I think of extreme social isolation that were problematic, and there were periods of interactivity that was cautious and masked. And over all that period, we really saw very little respiratory virus spread. And so it seems like a pretty reasonable thing to me right now when we're seeing people just getting taken out, like you know, it's like a bowling alley with pins falling over with. You know, influenza, which is miserable, to put some of those precautions in place and otherwise try to maintain your life as normally as you can. And people do tolerate the masking quite well. People managed with it, and if it, you know, I can't give you an exact percentage of how much value it adds, but it definitely adds some. And so uh, I feel very comfortable suggesting that people kind of return to some of the old habits for this period of time, especially because the kids especially, as you mentioned, they're getting influenza. Like right now, there's probably 50-50 influenza and RSV in hospital. And the number of kids in hospital right now are, I would be guessing, at least 10 times what we would usually see at this time of year.
0: How much of it, I mean, when I had little kids, I had one guy who got RSV a couple of times, he was asthmatic and stuff like that, grew out of it, but I mean, it's scary as a parent, you don't know if it's cold, COVID, flu, RSV, you just don't know, so, I mean, there's no way to tell, is there, you gotta get it checked out, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing to guide people would be how severely ill they are. And right now, a lot of the kids with influenza, they have a really, really like tough fever. And of course, the fever medications are in short supply. Yeah. So tough fever and cough and looking really wiped out influenza. And if you're starting to see a kid who's not eating, drinking, or breathing normally, then yes, unfortunately, although I expect there's a lot of congestion, that that's something that you at least need to run by your provider, um, and then figure out if you need to go in to get Get a more formal assessment because it, it is hard on kids and most kids will turn around and influenza sometimes is pretty tough for the first few days and then turns around but you, you never want to wait
0: too late because kids can get yeah, really ill exactly doctor great advice thank you so much for being here today i really appreciate it thanks for listening today to hear any of our other interviews you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcast if you like what you hear don't forget to rate and review us